So one summer, I was helping my grandma pull, pull curly-leafed weeds out of our family lake. My grandparents hadn't been back to clean out the water since the fall before winter struck. We were surrounded thigh deep in water polluted with these weeds, and so many of them. I asked my grandma why we were doing this. If we don't pull out these weeds now, grandma said, they'll keep growing and pretty soon we won't be able to see our lake anymore. But it's easier here in the water. Usually, if you're pulling up weeds growing on land, you need to start at the roots and pull upward from there. Make sure you don't leave anything behind so that the ground is clear again. Looking back on this moment, pulling roots up from underground seems like a perfect metaphor for life sometimes. Sometimes we have to dig through layers of life's messy past in order to see things with more clarity. I'm Talia McRae and I like perfume, dogs, and when things fit perfectly together. I'm Ella Edstrom and I like adventures, sports, and crisp morning sunrises. I'm Julia Sandberg and I like sea turtles, fuzzy blankets, and high quality microscopes. Welcome to Modern Story Podcast, episode number two. Today, we're telling stories about tearing up the roots of the past in order to grow and see more clearly what's ahead of us, and in the process, maybe learning a thing or two about who we are becoming. Yeah, so Julia, I thought your story was really interesting because I grew up in a house where we didn't do any gardening, like my grandma has, but my mom always makes this joke that whenever she tries to take care of plants, she kills them. So I've always been pretty afraid that I would inherit that trait, and I've never bought a real plant, so there are tons of fake plants in my house, but no real ones. (laughs) I mean, there's definitely times where I've killed plants, like succulents and everything, but, you know, in the garden, I feel pretty confident in doing it, and just the The title of Tearing Up Roots, it's getting to the root of problems from our past so that we can learn from them and for a better future. Yeah, so let's get started with Talia McWright and her story called Waiting for Grandpa to Die. Staring into the lizard green eyes of my grandmother, the words she'd spoken replayed in my head like a Bill Werther's vinyl spinning in a record player. Sometimes I find myself waiting for Grandpa to die, she said. It wasn't that I didn't understand why, but I was surprised that right now, standing in front of the bus stop in Annecy, France, with my grandpa, mom, and brother less than a few feet away, she decided to lay out the contents of her heart to me. I chose this life, and I will see it through, she continued. That feeling, like when you trip up a flight of stairs and your heart stops, that's how I felt in that moment, coupled with sadness, pity, and fear. I hoped that if she had then held a mirror to my face, the people around us would start clapping. The woman dressed head to toe in Gucci would bow, the man who'd asked my brother for a cigarette a few moments earlier would have curtsied, and the group of men speaking Arabic on the wooded benches would cheer, because I'd have won the Oscar for best poker face. Could she see, painted across my expression, that I in no way agreed nor sympathized with her life choice? When I was younger, he wasn't like this. Her voice dipped, her face sinking into her chin. He was kind. Then everything moved quickly and there we were married and having kids. It didn't take long for the anger to show itself. I changed my mind. As soon as she spoke, I saw myself there at the Parc de la Tête d'Or, where they shared their first kiss, Sainte Marie-Thérèse the hospital as my mother was coming into the world, and in their kitchen at the tiny square dinner table, where he'd slapped her pale cheek pink for cutting the bread wrong. The memories entangled with those of my mother's, and I almost couldn't tell them apart. That time she'd thrown her pawn shop wedding ring across the living room. The night she lay in the middle of the street nearly paralyzed by the hands of her husband. 
and when she'd finally filed for divorce. These stories I never wanted for myself, a pattern weaved into the women of my family like box braids. I knew that I'd fall in love one day and that thought terrified me because I couldn't end up like them. The puff of gas shook me back into eyes of emerald green. The bus arrived. Grandma rushed towards it, trailing behind Grandpa like they were handcuffed together, and the bickering began. My mother's laughter changed the day she'd been released from her handcuffs. What did it take? Apparently, for my grandma, it would take the Grim Reaper for her laughter to revert back to a life before she'd married a man she didn't even like. I refused to be caught in the braids, or handcuffed, or miserable pretending an abusive relationship is acceptable. So, I have a boyfriend. Wish me luck, would ya? Talia, that was a really powerful story. Um, I really love the imagery um, in your story. I was able to picture so many pieces, and yeah, I I loved it. (laughs) Um, I do have a question. So um, if there's one message you could give the younger versions of your grandmother and mother, what would you say? That's a really good question, Julia. (laughs) Um, I would definitely tell them not to settle and to recognize the red flags early. I think so often people kind of get caught in the idea of love being the driving force in a relationship, but it takes more than just love to actually fulfill and build a foundational healthy relationship. Um, I think both of them saw the signs early on and just kind of looked past them because there was so much love there. And I wish if they were younger, if I could talk to them, I would just really honestly tell them like, there is better out there for you and you can find it if you're patient and if you wait for it, if you don't settle. Okay, first of all, I'd like to say thank you for sharing your story. It was really good. And then, so as we all try not to make the same mistakes as our family, how has your life been shaped by avoiding being in a toxic relationship? Yeah, that is also a good question. (laughs) Um, I think I've always said that my parents said the right things to me, but they modeled the opposite. And so I feel thankful because growing up, I was able to kind of decipher the two and realize what I would want for myself. So I've always been really intentional with my relationships, with my friendships, with who I'm surrounded by and definitely romantically. So I'm not oblivious that things might not always be perfect, but I'm also completely honest with myself. And kind of like I was saying earlier, if I had talked to my mom and my grandma when they were younger, I would tell them not to settle. And I kind of have to keep that same mindset for myself. Like if something isn't going well, if I see a relationship going downhill, if I'm seeing red flags, then I need to make sure that I'm aware of that and I'm not settling. Um, So I, I think it plays a role in all of my relationships and especially romantically as I'm becoming an adult. Here is Ella Edstrom and her story called Work is Fun. I walked across the driveway toward the garden, avoiding buckets full of dirt and the small plastic cartons of plants as my grandpa held on to my elbow. Where should we start, he asked. I suggested on the curly kale since he had called me multiple times telling me how it was such an interesting plant. When we got a routine going in the garden, the only noise on that sunny day was the cool breeze rustling the leaves and the birds singing. Grandpa and I were working together, essentially doing the same thing, 
except one of us had a huge advantage. I could see exactly what needed to be done and where the different plans should go. He couldn't. In years past, Grandpa could see the outlines of things, his family, the trees in the yard which showed him where he was, and the shape of the lake home built nearly 18 years ago. But this year, all of his sight was gone. He no longer could figure out where he was in the yard and began to start using a carved wood walking stick. Halfway through the row, Grandpa asked, How's it looking? Am I getting all the weeds out and is the soil getting mixed up? I confirmed he was and repeated that a few more times before the end of the day. He continued with the handheld shovel, which was chipped, scratched, and bent so much that it was almost completely flat. He mentioned that the shovel, along with the other tools we were using, had been used for generations. How they were on the resort when he grew up, used in his dad's garden, and used in the garden he had when my mom was his age. Back then, we used to start work before dawn, and we would be lucky if we were done before dusk. He said, how blessed we are having it pretty easy nowadays. I jokingly replied, I think we're working pretty hard getting the whole garden planted in one weekend. I wasn't joking, though. I was sweating, my back ached from bending over, and the cool lake was waiting for me to jump into. We finished a row of kale, and we went to take a break for some vitamins, more commonly known as a secret refrigerated dark chocolate. I sat with him during our break, wondering how it was possible for my grandpa to be positive while working incredibly hard when he couldn't even see. I love working in the garden with Grandpa and look forward to it every year. It's not easy, though, and I'm only a teenager. How is it humanly possible for a blind guy in his 80s to outwork a young and healthy teenager? Maybe it's his determination to serve others first. Maybe it's because he wants to make sure the job is done right. Maybe it's because somehow he thinks work is fun. His persistence amazes me every day, along with the choice to actively have a positive outlook on life. He is the definition of leading by example, and I'm lucky enough to watch him act firsthand and follow in his footsteps. In the end, I'm convinced Hershey's dark chocolate nuggets give him the absolute advantage in always outworking me and leading to his success in life. Oh, oh, that was a really beautiful story. Um, I loved hearing about your grandpa and the tradition you have with gardening. Um, I have a question. Uh, do you foresee continuing the tradition of gardening in the future, possibly with your own children and grandchildren? Definitely. So my brother, well, me and my brother will inherit the cabin, and he kind of wants to get rid of the garden, but I say that we're keeping it, and that will stand because I just love this tradition with my grandpa, and it has really taught me many things, and I love the quality time with him. Yeah, I also have a question. What qualities of your grandfather do you see in yourself? Well, I don't, it's hard to like see to myself, but I hear many people tell me that I have his work ethic, and that's called the Johnson gene, because that's his last name. But um, So just, just the Johnson gene, really, and I try to just have his character and being patient with everything because he has to be patient and not being able to see, and that's pretty hard for me in his fast life. But... I really try to pursue that. Here's Julia Sandberg and her story called Her Beautiful Universe. Julia Sandberg perched her shivering body on the bench inside the U.S. Postal Service. It was a January evening, the sky an onyx black. Flecks of snow fell outside the foggy windows, much like the silver glitter which swirled around in her favorite snow globe. 
The light reflecting off the snow was mirrored back in the eyes of the child, full of life. Dressed in a thick black coat, sauntered across the room to open his mail. Julia's dad was like a hibernating bear. Like a creature that sleeps through the barren season of winter, he seemed to sleep through his life. He slept to distract himself from the scars his childhood had burned to his skin. While his back was turned, the little girl wondered if she should tell him what was on her mind. She was afraid to introduce her dad to her real world, where things were not perfect all the time. The truth is, third grade often felt suffocating. To the other kids, she was the weird one. She was the strange girl who spun around in circles by herself on the field in the middle of a snowstorm. She was pretending she was in her own personal snow globe, twirling around like a ballerina in a wind-up music box. She could feel it in her developing bones. There was a dividing line between her and them. But she didn't really care about any of it. That is, until her body began going through changes. All of a sudden, her own skin felt foreign. She wondered why all the other girls were skinnier. They could wear extra size small t-shirts, but not her. She wore mediums and sometimes larges. Daydreams didn't seem to matter anymore. And if there's one thing she learned, it's that third graders are just mean. And now came the time when she needed to tell someone, anyone. Holding it all in was too much to bear. Ready to go? Her father asked. Daddy, Julia mumbled, I have to tell you something. Okay. He replied, a sleepy, distant bear. A boy on the school bus said that I am fat, she blurted out, her eyes quickly shifting downward. She felt shame as her father's gaze practically bore holes into her. The bear had awakened from his slumber. We'll work on it together, he said. The glass encapsulating Julia's snow globe world shattered. The swirling glitter snowflake stopped midair, then fell to the ground in one big, glaring heap. Am I not good enough? She spiraled faster than the snow falling outside in the twilight. Maybe I really am fat. The girl did not predict the years of degradation she would later suffer from her father's critical hand. She could not picture the grocery store trips, spent with him counting the amount of sugar in every food she ate, then going home and being forced to measure out every last gram. She couldn't feel the tears that would sting her eyes as she was made to stare at that measuring glass in shame as her dad loomed like a dark shadow behind her. Julia went into hibernation that day, as she left the post office, and fell into the night's frozen embrace. She used to have an inkling that an entire, unexplored, beautiful universe was inside of her. And yet, in that post office, she had never felt so small. But maybe her universe was just expanding. Maybe her snow globe had to be shattered for her universe to be released. Her broken, heartbreakingly beautiful universe. She did not know when she would make it out of hibernation, but she knew that she'd crawl herself out on hands and knees if she had to. And eventually, over a decade later, she would. Julia, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Um, I know it really impacted me, and it was just really interesting to hear your perspective of growing up. So I have a question for you. Um, what is your relationship with your self-confidence in your body like now? And how has that affected you as you're becoming an adult? Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, I'd say it's definitely improved since childhood. Um, I've kind of learned to find self-worth not just in the way I look, but also um, the person I am, you know, 
the emotions I feel, what I say, you know, what I do, you know, I kind of base my self-worth on. My faith, too, is a big one. Um, I think growing up as a girl in this modern day is very difficult. Um, we have to, or we think we have to live up to a lot of standards, uh, beauty standards. Um, it just, growing up, it makes you feel like you need to look a certain way, act a certain way. But I think gaining some perspective over time has helped me see that I am who I am and that's okay and that's beautiful and valid, just like everyone else is beautiful and valid too, so. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Julie is absolutely beautiful. I know you guys can't see her, but inside and out, Julie. Oh, thank you, you guys are too. <laughs> okay, Julia, this was such a powerful story. Thank you for sharing this. I know it could have been very difficult. Yeah, So I have you. a question. Have you shared this before, and how have you helped other people in similar struggles with this story, and how did that kind of look with you sharing to others? Yeah, um, actually, so the only people who really know this story um, are my mom and my aunt and my cousins, so I'm kind of just sharing this with everyone at the same time, so, um, but besides a few close friends too, but, um, yeah, it's definitely a difficult story to share. Um, I think one thing that I have done, though, with you know people I've come across dealing with insecurity, um, dealing with family trauma, baggage, is just, I don't know, assure them that where they're at is okay. Because the healing process is long and it's continuous, and there, there are no timelines for it. Um, I think just validating people's emotions and saying it's okay it's okay to feel things it's okay to process and your story is important to tell um yeah that's good thank you yeah thank you so what have we learned today i think we've definitely learned that all of us come from different and unique experiences, especially in our upbringings. Um, and some of those roots that we talked about tearing out can be really difficult because they shape who we are and sometimes that's in the negative. And that's very hard for us to process, especially as we grow and we think about how not only we affect ourselves, but the people around us. And along with that, there are also some really positive things that I know all of us have experienced from our family, from our upbringing and our experiences. So there's a lot of duality to balancing both of those, the positive and the negative roots that we have. Um, and I really echo what Julia was talking about, about just meeting people where they're at and taking the time to like listen and allow people to be vulnerable in the state that they're in instead of pushing them to be somewhere they're not. But also encouraging ourselves to continue to grow and know that we don't have to be what we saw and we can take the positive things with us. I've learned that everyone has a past, everyone grow up differently and that everyone has positive and negative things that they had when they grew up. But we need to listen to other people and that look into ourselves and take the positive things and keep going with them, but learn from the negative things and try to be better for yourself and for others. Yeah, um, I've learned that the roots making up who we are remain connected to the past, whether we like it or not, right? We have family, friends, you know, our past is kind of fixed. We can't go back and change it. We don't have a time machine, you know, as much as we might want it sometimes. Um, but the past does not have to dictate where you grow next or where you plant new roots. You can choose, even if it doesn't always seem like you can or it seems like you're kind of paralyzed by the past, you can 
through a lot of work, choose to uproot yourself from the pain and plant yourself somewhere new where you can start again. So we want to thank some people for helping us out with this Modern Story podcast about the University in St. Paul, Minnesota. Thanks to Professor Chris Schaffner and his teaching assistants for maintaining the podcast studio and giving us access to it. Thanks to special writers such as Soraya Kaiser and Aaron Barker who helped us get inspired about our stories. Special thanks to this class, Story in Modern America, and Scott Winter for all of the tips and encouragement. And we should thank each other for our edits. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Look for the next episode of Modern Story Podcast, which is called Two Sides of the Same Mind by Austin Otier, Jason Elkior, and Ella Mato. And lastly, go tell your parents, siblings, coworkers, imaginary friend, professional scuba diving instructor, and food delivery guy about Modern Story.